Right on radio. Right on radio. Hello, Right on Radio family. This is Eric bringing you another Bible study. And for those of you who maybe uh, watch this, who um, you know, who aren't necessarily part of that community, uh, this is for you as well. This is for anybody who is a child of God or uh, is not quite yet one. So I'm going to be uh, teaching on a passage today that, in my opinion, is one of the greatest illustrations of God's love. Um, and you might be surprised which one I chose for that. And we're going to do a deep dive into it, but I'm not going to do a deep dive by diving into the original Greek. Um, it's a different type of a deep dive that you can do with scriptures, just diving into the story itself. Um, now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke um, often have um, passages in common in different chapters, but they have the same story. And this is one of the stories. It's in all three of those. It is not in the Gospel of John, but the Gospel of John's kind of a different gospel. Uh, Matthew was a disciple, and so he was an eyewitness. So was Mark. Luke was not a disciple. He was a Greek doctor that joined Paul later on. And as such, he was educated, and his Greek is the best Greek out of the Gospels because it was not a foreign language to him. He grew up and was educated in it, you know. And, but John, if, you, if you're a new Christian, you don't know where to start in the Bible, it is often recommended to read the Gospel of John first, and I concur with that. John doesn't so much go into the, the stories as the meaning in the stories. You know, his Gospel is the only one that starts off with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the worst word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we lived with him and ministered with him and you know so he really goes into what it all means he really dives into the heart of it so I would start with the gospel of John and um, Matthew's a fairly long and in-depth gospel Mark is kind of the cliff notes version and Luke did a compilation he interviewed as many eyewitnesses as he could and compiled the stories to the best of his ability him not being there himself um, John is kind of the love guy. So the Gospel of John is good because it's, you know, hey, it's all about love. God is love and there is no, and in him there's no darkness and beloved, let us love one another. And, and, and John even referred to himself as the beloved disciple, which seems a little arrogant, you know. Um, but, and out of all the, Jesus did say one time to John that it's, he said to the other disciples, well, what is it to you if I, if, if I say that John's not going to die? Well, John did die, but he is the only apostle and disciple that did not, was not tortured to death. They tried. Uh, they, they wanted to deep fry him like a French fry. They put him in a pot of um, boiling oil and it didn't do anything to him. So they, uh, you know, cast him out on the island of Patmos, which was no picnic, but that's where uh, he experienced and wrote the book of Revelation. And eventually he was released and he died of an old age, um, leading, uh, you know, leading a, a, a church area. And the interesting thing about that, though, is it seems like John's the one that got it, that it's about the love. It's about God's love. It's about loving each other. 
And when Jesus was arrested, all the disciples fled except John. He's the one that was there at the foot of the cross with Mary. That's why when Jesus, before he died, he did one more thing of business was, John, this is your mother. Mother, this is your son. He didn't want to leave his mom without a son to take care of her, nor a son to take care of for her. And, um, and I believe that's why John uh, wasn't martyred for his faith, although they tried. Um, he's the only one that didn't flee. He didn't uh, give in to fear or, or cowardice or whatever. He, he stayed there. And so this is a story about God's love. And it's an amazing story. Um, it doesn't seem like it at first. But when you do a deep dive into it, it is really one of the best uh, illustrations I've found of God's love. Other than what Jesus did on the cross, you know. And his, his uh, crucifixion, his, all that torture, that terrible thing that happened to him that day, thousands of years ago. And when I say I'm going to read a story, it's not a, un, it's not a make-believe story. It's a true story. It's about one of the healings. And it's in all three Gospels. It's in... Um, now, this is an interesting thing. I told you that Mark is kind of the cliff notes, right? Um, a lot of times in stories where it's mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and or Luke, Mark's got the fewest details. He might say, oh yeah, we went here and did that. And then Matthew and Luke will take two or three paragraphs talking about what happened there and on the way there and on the way back, you know. So, in Matthew 9... And it's also in Luke um, 5. And I'm going to be focusing on how the story is in Mark 2. It's the healing of the paralytic. And you might say, well, wait a minute. How is that such an illustration of God's love? Um, you'll see. So please stick to the end. Um, trust me, it's, it, I will deliver what I'm saying about it being a very good illustration of God's love. Now, Matthew was called by Jesus just after this happened. And that's recorded in, in the different books, even Matthew's book. So there's a very good chance that Matthew wasn't there. And Luke, we know, wasn't there. He compiled eyewitness testimonies. And this is one of the rare instances where Mark gives more detail than the other Gospels. And so it tells me that there's something really important about this for him to give that much pen and paper to it. And... Um, and he was the only one writing of it that was actually there when it happened. And so I kind of took all three stories and compiled them. But I kind of looked to his as the more authoritative. Um, and so we'll just do a quick reading of it. So this is Mark 2. When he, Jesus, had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, 
Why are you reasoning about these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, go, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go. And he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone, so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. And he went out again by the seashore, and all the people were coming to him, and he was teaching to them. Father, I just want to thank you for your word. Um, Jesus, I'm thankful that you are the word. You were there in the beginning with God, and everything was created through you, and you became flesh. And this is one of the healings you performed, and it made it into the written word. And your words, and your word is precious, Lord. We ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts in the eyes of our spirit to see what you would have us see and to hear what you would have us hear. Lord, let your uh, word go forth and not return void. So I pray that it would speak to everyone who needs to hear from this what they need to hear from it. In Jesus' name we pray. Now, pretty bold statement to say that that's one of the greatest stories of God's love because I don't think many people would say, yeah, that's the one that I think of. So we're going to do a deep dive into this, and, and like I said, it's not going to be into the original Greek. We're going to do a deep dive into the story itself, and this is a way that you too can do deep dives into the, into the Word, and it's, you do it by just putting yourself in the story and asking lots of questions. Now, I personally have a visual, I'm a very visual person, I have a very visual and strong imagination, so I can close my eyes and just kind of picture myself there and start asking questions and things, and for instance, um, was he paralyzed from the waist down or the neck down? Was he a quadriplegic or a paraplegic? Was he born that way? Or did something happen later? Did the four guys know him? Or was he a stranger to them? You know, things like that. And so I'm going to look at the story from different angles. And I think that hopefully we can get some answers to those questions. But when you do deep dives into God's Word like that, and you ask questions and you bring them to them, He is more than happy to meet with you and answer your questions. And I'd encourage you to do the same thing as you read God's Word. So, now, the four guys, I love these guys. I can't wait to meet them in heaven and ask them some questions, because there's some things I want to know. Like, did they know the guy on the mat? Now, I will, might refer to him as Matt, because I used to teach it, I'd call him on Matt because he's the guy on the mat. No offense to any Matthews out there. Um, so if that slips, if I say Matt, it means the guy on the mat. But what do you think? So Jesus is in town. He's teaching. He's starting to perform miracles. He cleansed a leper. He did the miracle of the wine at the wedding. And, and so we're just starting to spread so that when someone knows he's there, there's a big crowd following and even scribes and Pharisees and teachers of the law are coming to listen to him speak. And, and so, you know, word got out that, hey, Jesus is at this place teaching in this house speaking or this building and whatnot. And so these four guys were on their way and... They either knew him or not, you know, so if they knew him, then one of them had that idea, hey, let's go grab Matt and take him. And the other guy says, good idea, let's do it. So they went and got him. Um, or maybe they didn't know him and they were just passing by and they saw him and they thought, hey, if Jesus is healing people, this guy needs it, why don't we take him? What do you think? 
I don't know for sure, but I'm going to ask him that question. But regardless of, it, it would make sense to me that they knew who he was. Um, but think about this. Um, the, the, the word Mark uses is palette. Um, I love the Chosen video series, but the, the, them carrying him on a sheet is not how it happened. This was like a mat, a pallet, a, a wooden structure probably with some cloth on it for comfort. Um, it was not an easy carry, and it probably took four guys to carry him. You know, one on each corner, and I don't know how far they had to walk, but... Man, wouldn't you want friends like this that if, if you needed them, they would carry you for however long it, it took? And you know, if you're carrying somebody and you, you know, you'd, you'd have to stop once in a while and switch sides so that you're doing your right side part of the time and the left side. And you know, maybe some guys in the front were walking backward. And I don't know how uneven the terrain was and how good the trails or paths were. But we, we just think, oh, they carried him there. Well, it might have been quite a bit of effort, especially if there was some distance there. And the neat thing about these guys is they didn't give up. That's what I love about them. They were, they were very tenacious. And, and, and then they get there, and it's so crowded that you can't even... The people are standing in the doorway and hanging out in the windows. And, and you know, at that point, I think most people would have given up. Um, not these four guys. They said, I got an idea. You know, one of them said, hey, let's take him up to the roof. And the other three said... Good idea, let's do it. So they took him up to the roof. Well, now what? Well, let's remove the tiles and make a hole and dig through the roof so we can get him down there to Jesus. And Wow, you know, those are good friends. I, you know, if I ever needed something like that, I hope there's at least four people in the world that would be willing to do that for me. Um, and I hope that there are people in this world that I would be one of those four for them as well. And... So they took him however far a distance it took to get him there, trading off as many times. You know, you guys walk backward now, left side, right side, traverse whatever terrain they had to, to get him there. And they saw the crowd, no way in, undaunted. They go to the roof. On the roof, they had to make an opening in the roof, and they had to lower him down. Now, I want you to picture this. You know, we just kind of gloss over the story. Well, they didn't have a Home Depot on the way where they could get some winches and stuff. Like, they had to lower the guy down. You know, it's not like they opened up an opening big enough for the pallet and just dropped him and boom, you know, there he is in front of Jesus now. You know, they had to lower him down. So maybe some people in the room helped and they lowered him down. People grabbed him. Maybe two of the guys jumped down in and took him as the other two didn't down. You know, you couldn't like tilt it too far. The guy would have slid off, you know, and that would have defeated the purpose, you know. Well, he would have got there quicker, but that's beside the point. So you, you got to put, you know, this was not just an easy task. They carried this guy who knows how far. They weren't discouraged by a crowd. They found a way. They made a way. They opened up a thing. And then finally, they got this guy before Jesus. And, you know, these guys are pretty faithful. They, 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 they were pretty certain or very hopeful at least that Jesus was going to heal the guy. So they finally get him in front of Jesus and Jesus, I love this, he says he sees their faith and, and a lot of times when Jesus healed people, he told the person that he healed, your faith has made you well. But that was not the case. He didn't look at his faith, the paralytic, 
and say your faith is meant you will. He looked at their faith, the four who brought him. And then he gave them exactly what they were hoping for, right? And no. He says, your sins are forgiven. Okay, if you're one of the four, is that why you went to all the trouble? Did you bring him there so that the guy could get forgiveness of sins? Not that you wouldn't take it for him, but what'd you bring him there for? You brought him there for a healing. You wanted this guy to walk away. And so Jesus sees their faith, and it's almost like, he, like a good coach or a mentor would do. He pushes it a little further, even stretches it a little bit more. Because I imagine that they may have in that moment kind of had a letdown like, he's not going to heal him? Don't get me wrong. Yeah, forgiveness of sins is good, but, you know, we kind of went through a lot of effort to get the guy here so that he could get healed. And we're kind of hoping that he would. And then he had this little scuttle with the scribes and the Pharisees. And then he says, get up and walk. And then they finally got what they came there for. So that's one aspect of the story that is just wonderful. Um, and I want to encourage those of you who are intercessors, people that pray for people regularly, people that invite people to events where people can hear the gospel, you know, consistently, you know, don't give up because Jesus in this instance worked with the four. He saw their faith. He increased their faith and stretched it. And then their faith finally paid off and more than they were expecting. And although this might be theologically considered unorthodox, I'm sorry, the word's very clear here. This man got forgiveness of sins because of their faith. And this man got healed because of their faith. So does that not mean that maybe if you bring people to Jesus faithfully, that they may receive forgiveness of sins through your faith and healing through your faith. That's what happened here. So don't give up if you're one of those that brings people to Jesus all the time, whether it be in prayer or physically to events. Keep it up because the words are very clear here what happened. Now, not only did Jesus accomplish this with the four, but he also, you know, not to not not to miss out on an opportunity to have a little scuffle with the scribes and Pharisees, you know, think about this. Like they could have lowered him down and Jesus just said, Okay, cool, you're healed, get up and go. Hey, everyone's happy. The four got what they wanted, the scribes and Pharisees, well wow, this is really cool. No, he says your sins are forgiven. He knew. He knew what they were going to think about that. He knew how they were going to respond. He said it, and I could just see him just, just waiting a minute to, to let that percolate, what they just heard. And then, wait, 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 wait a minute. Did, he, did Jesus forgive sins? No, no, no. This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And then he just, just does that runaround that he does so well. He says, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to get up and walk? Now, it's kind of an obvious thing, but really think about this. 
Let's say I walk into uh, an infirmary or a hospital or a, a place where people are wheelchair bound. And I walk in and I say, everybody, God sent me to minister to you. And I walk around and I touch each person and say, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven. Okay, prove me wrong or prove me right. You, you can't. Like, we'll only know when we get there. If the God says, hey, he touched you and said it, so your sins are forgiven, then we know what happened. But there is no way to prove it at that point. But if I go in there and I touch everybody and say, get up and walk, get up and walk, get up and walk, and get up and walk, if they ain't getting up and walking, then I'm a fraud, right? So, so Jesus could have just healed him, but he took advantage of the opportunity to make a proclamation that he had the authority to forgive sins, that he was the Son of Man, and that, yeah, I am the Son of God, and I'm here, and I can forgive sins. And so he traps them in, in reasoning logic that is irrefutable. Because, of course, well, anybody can say your sins are forgiven, but which is, which is okay, so if, if, I can do the easy, if I can do the harder thing, then can't I do the easier thing? Just get up and go. And the guy gets up and goes. So it's kind of mud in your eye with the Pharisees. And Jesus never seemed to back down from an opportunity to do that. So, but... There's another perspective on this story that is much awesome, much more awesome. Yes, you know, Jesus accomplishes so many things in this one healing. Yes, he confirmed the faith of the four and stretched their faith even more and confirmed their faith. I, can, I would love to hear what their lives were like after that, once they realized, hey, we brought that guy to Jesus, and the guy got forgiveness and healing. Let's keep doing it again. You know, what did they do the rest of their lives? You know, did they keep doing it? You know, were they part of the early church? You know, I, uh, you know, I just can't wait to get to hear those guys' their life story. And yeah, Jesus did have a run-in with the Pharisees, and he proclaimed his deity, basically being the Son of God and the Son of Man and able to forgive sins. But there is something even more important that he did, and it's so easy to miss. And it's so easy to see if you just dig in and, and ask questions. So I asked a question earlier. Was, this, was Matt a paralytic from the waist down or the neck down? And I want you to consider what life would be like back then. They didn't have wheelchairs and ramps. They didn't have necessarily indoor plumbing. They didn't have electricity and machines to help and motors and things. So at some, you know, really put yourself in his shoes because he is you and he is me. At some level, he was dependent on someone for his care. If he was paralyzed just from the waist down, he could sit up he could use his arms. He could drink water, you know, wash himself off. He would need help getting to where he could wash himself off, like a stream or a pond or whatever. He could maybe drag himself around on his pallet. Um, you know, what about going to the bathroom? What about wiping after? You know, that's there's a degree of care there that this person had to have for them. And if they were paralyzed from the neck down and didn't have the use of their arms and legs, even more so. Um, you could breathe and talk 
and eat and drink, but someone would have to put the cup up to your mouth and have to put the bites for you. So this person had to have people there that were caring for him if from the neck down at a very deep level. And if from the waist down, not as deep of a level, but still he would need, you know, care for him. He was limited into the, the amount he could contribute to those who were taking care of him, especially from the neck down. And, you know, was he born this way? Was this his whole life? Was he not that way and then something happened and then he was? So I want you to imagine that you're this person and you're laying on your pallet and these guys come by and they say, hey, we're going to take you to Jesus. He's at so-and-so's place. He's been healing people. We want to take you. Now with you, with your personality, would you have protested? Would you have said, guys, no, 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 that's a long way. Uh, no, it's okay. Uh, just, you know, would you have dared to hope? Would you have had some hesitance to hope? Did you, would you get your hopes up, but not too much in case they get let down? Would you have been all like gunko? Get them, guys. Yeah, let's go. Get me there. I want to get healed. Or were you shy? Or, you know, how, how, did, how do you think someone who was dependent on other people for much or most of your care, and these people were going to carry you however long it was to get to the place where Jesus was, and they had to set you down once in a while to change sides and, you know, get a little sore and give their legs a rest before they continued, you know, at some point, would you tell them, guys, just, just leave me. Don't worry about it. It's okay. And especially if they were strangers or maybe even more so if they knew who you were or were you glad they'd be taking you? You know, these are all things to think about. It makes the story much more real and rich when you ask those questions and, and search for those answers and seek the Lord for them. And, and then as they get close to the place and you can, you know, tilt your head up or sit up and see that it's packed. And there's no way in. It's too too big of a crowd. And uh, would you have said this? You know, thanks, guys. I appreciate you trying this hard, but it there that there's no way in. It's too crowded. You may maybe just leave me here, and maybe on his way out, Jesus will walk past me. And but I mean, what are you going to do about it? You're you're paralytic. So if they decide no, we're taking you up to the roof. You're kind of along for the ride. You know, if you're if you're paralyzed just from the waist down, you could maybe like try to hit him to tell him to stop. But I mean, that's about all you can do. So you're at their mercy at some level of, of how far they're willing to take this. And so they have an idea. One of them says, let's take him up on the roof. You know, now they thought it was a good idea. Maybe you agree with them or maybe you didn't, you know, but here you are being taken up on the roof. Now, when you think about it, when you go up the stairs to get to the roof, you know, you're not going to do this. So two guys in the back have to hold high and the two guys in the front go low so that you're level on the way up. And this is after however long the journey was to get there, you know, and you're getting jostled around on the mat and now they're up on the roof and it's like, okay, cool, we're on the roof, now what? And then one of them has an idea, let's make an opening and drop them down and and one of the gospels says they removed the tiles and they made an opening. And Mark mentioned, I believe, he says they dug, they dug an opening, like dug. Well, how did you dig? 
like was there a shovel there on the roof just in case someone wanted to go through it uh, I mean that there's a lot going on here and um, and that's what they started doing now imagine if you're in the room you know you're one of the people in there now more than likely the scribes the Pharisees were in the front row the best seats because we know that they liked the the good seats for themselves you know that we know that from other parts of the Gospels so they're probably sitting in the front and you know maybe they you heard footsteps up there and footsteps on the roof but when they start to dig through to the point where debris is starting to fall thank heavens Jesus was the Son of God he probably wasn't standing where that was falling and hopefully no one else was there but can you imagine the the crowd's reaction they're inside and all of a sudden you know pebbles start falling and chunks start falling down and before you know it you start to see the light piercing through and and they're like nope not big enough yet so they keep going till it's big enough to lower this pallet down in uh, how long did that take did Jesus keep talking did he stop and wait did he just keep going knowing that the crowd was probably well, what's going on up there you know and and, and you think about them modern churches today you know oh heaven forbid a baby cry in the sanctuary oh my gosh you got to get that child out of here get them to the cry room the, the ushers will usher them out because they're disturbing the, the the sermon and God cannot move with with the racket of a baby crying because they want to eat or they're fussy for whatever reason or they got a dirty diaper right Look, Jesus is sitting here preaching the word and they're digging a hole in the roof and he doesn't stop. He keeps teaching and he doesn't tell them, guys, this is inappropriate. I'm teaching the word of God now. Please come back later. No, he just lets them do it. Tells you something about modern churches, huh? My opinion. Yeah, that's enough about that. So, so now then you're in the crowd then finally we find out what all the commotion is is this guy starts getting lowered down maybe some people in the crowd got up to help and maybe the four were still up there maybe two jumped down or ran down the stairs and came in and helped or whatever so so but eventually however long this took and Jesus is teaching while all this commotion is going on and rubble's falling down that eventually they they get the guy there now put yourself back to being the person on the mat on the pallet they took you on this journey maybe against your protests maybe you dared to hope you know maybe you'd heard that he'd heal the leper maybe he could heal you maybe you would dare to hope but not too much maybe you didn't want to give up your hopes too much and get disappointed or maybe you were just like, yes, please, please help me. Who I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to ask them. And I'm there. But imagine that you're on this mat and they get up to the roof. And once they're done digging the hole open big enough for, to lower you down on your pallet. They finally get you down there. And there you are. On the ground. On your mat. Your pallet. Maybe you're sitting up if you have the use of your arms and if not you're laying down and you're on the ground looking up at Jesus and he's not looking at you right now. You see because the word says that he saw their faith and I know 
that Jesus took a moment to make eye contact with each one of them. Maybe nod his head and smile and acknowledge what they did to bring this man here. Instead of getting mad at them for interrupting, he saw their faith. He recognized them for it. And then Jesus stops looking at them and he turns his eyes to you. And there's the Son of God looking at you in the eyes. And he opens his mouth as if to speak. What are you feeling in that moment? Is he going to say, get up and walk? Is he going to say, be healed? What's he going to say? And he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And yeah, he did do that to test the faith of the four. And he did start a little fight with the Pharisees. But that's not why he did it. You know, I asked a question early on. Do you think this man was born this way? Or do you think something happened later on? I'm of the opinion that the man was not born a paralytic. Something happened later on in life and made him that way. And I think it was tied to something that he did that, at least in his opinion, and maybe he was right, maybe he did something stupid. Maybe he made a mistake. Maybe he knew it was something he shouldn't be doing, but he did it anyways, and then something happened to him. And now he's paralyzed. And for how long, I don't know. But it's clear to me, based on Jesus' interaction with him, you see, Jesus knew what the four came there for. He knew what he wanted, but he also knew what he needed. And if the man didn't need forgiveness of sin, Jesus would have just said, get up and walk. You're good. It's not what happened. He says, your sins are forgiven. And that tells me that he needed that before he needed his healing. Can you imagine, you know, this guy having sinned and he reaped what he sowed and the consequence was now he's paralyzed. It was his fault. It was his bad. He deserved it. And I think that might be why he maybe had protested that they take him. Because he's like, guys, no, it's okay. This is just, I did something stupid and God made me paralyzed and I deserved it. So it's okay. I've accepted that. Leave me here. I imagine it was probably along those lines. And can you imagine how cruel it would have been if Jesus healed his body but didn't heal his heart? And in beautiful form, in beautiful fashion, he says your sins are forgiven. And it starts a little commotion over here. You can hear the scribes and the Pharisees. And then, I don't even think he heard him because God had just looked him in the eyes and said, your son, your sins are forgiven. 
And then Jesus just gave some time for that to sink in and heal his heart. And yeah, he had this little scuffle with the Pharisees, but that just bought them, bought him some time to process that. And I could just, you know, in that minute or two, however long the exchange took, how much healing happened in that moment because God knew what he needed first and spoke to his heart about forgiveness. Jesus was not going to heal the man's legs but leave his heart broken, so he heals his heart first. And at great cost to himself, because think about this. When they called to crucify Christ, why did they call for? They said he was a blasphemer. And according to the standards, he was, wasn't he? This was one of them. This was the first one. This was the first time that Jesus stepped into what they would call blasphemy, and he did it on purpose because he knew this man needed to hear that he was forgiven more than he needed to protect himself from the accusation of blasphemy. That is how loving Jesus is. That is how loving God is. That is how intimate his love is. He knows what you want and he knows what you need and he will give you what you need and he will often give you what you want. But it's all driven by love. Jesus offering this man forgiveness eventually cost him his life and he knew it was going to. And he did it anyways. A love like that, sign me up any day. So, you're the paralytic. Someone brought you to Jesus. They never gave up on you. They were tenacious. They kept going, kept going, until they found a way to get you there. They finally got you there. And maybe you got not what they intended for you to get, but you got that and more. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And he uses the word son there. It's like child. It's an intimate term. It's not just, hey, dude, your sins are forgiven. It's son. Had it been a woman, that would have been daughter. Your sins are forgiven. And I'm willing to give up my life to their accusations of blasphemy to offer that to you. Because that's what you really need, even though it costs me mine. And he healed him too. So when he got up and he picked up his pallet and he walked out of the room in the sight of everybody. I'm so glad Jesus didn't just heal the guy. He did so much more. He stretched the faith of the four. He, he purposely went head to head with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you know. Um, and he healed the guy's heart even though it would cost him everything eventually before he healed his body. When that man left, he was whole because he was forgiven and he was healed. His legs were made whole, but his heart was made whole first. 
live like that, sign me up. And if you are new to this whole Jesus thing, or maybe you've heard about him, if you haven't, um, a lot in our culture right now is trying to make Jesus and Christians seem stupid, irrelevant, hypocritical. I encourage you to look past that and look at this illustration of Jesus, the Word of God Himself made flesh, having an interaction with an individual. Because Jesus is still in the business of having interactions with individuals like you, like me like many others here in this community, I would encourage you to give the love of God a shot. Not many people in the world probably love you like the four loved that person. I don't know how many people in the world other than Jesus would love you as much as Jesus loved that man. But he knows what you want. He knows what you need. He'll give you what you need. Probably what you want too. But he'll do it in the right way and in the right order. I'd encourage you to open up your heart to him. And I'm going to say a little prayer. And if you've never asked Jesus into your heart, I'd like you to follow along. And it's really simple. Um, you can repeat my words or you can just pray something along the lines that you would. So let's, let's pray. Father, Abba. Jesus, our precious Savior. You, Father, are a love. God is love, and in Him there is no darkness. Jesus, you are God. So there's no darkness in you, and you are love as well. And you demonstrated it so many times while you're here on this earth. And Lord, that man on the mat, that's us. We've done stupid things. Sometimes we've paid terrible consequences because of it. And yet, you offer forgiveness of sins. And yet, you offer healing. So Jesus, I have done stupid things myself. I have faced and I might still be living with them right now. Lord, you know what I need. If I need forgiveness, Lord, will you offer that to me? If I need healing, will you offer that to me? And Jesus, would you do me a favor? Would you bless the people that have always been trying to bring me to you my whole life? Thank you for them. Thank you for loving me. I'm willing to give you a shot. I open up my heart to you. I open up my life to you. I believe that you die on the cross. And I believe who you, you are, who you say you are. I ask you into my heart. Come make it your home. Holy Spirit, here's your temple. Come live here. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Have a blessed day, blessed evening, depending on what time zone you're in, what part of the world you're in. May God bless you richly, and may his love 
overwhelm you. Have a good day. Right on, right on, right on. Right on radio. Right on radio.